0: All right, Philippians chapter four. Y'all, this has been an enjoyable journey. Um, But as I was talking to James and and we were getting ready to to pray and tell him it's kind of neat to sit here as part of Cross Life and look at all the books that we have covered just through just taking the text and just preaching progressively and over the last three and a half years, the the books that we've been able to cover. And um, so my prayer this morning was that the Lord calmed me so that I'm not in such a rush, joyful rush to finish Philippians that I forget to worship him before then. And um, and so I've, that was an answered prayer, just being able to worship the Lord. But it is kind of nice, like you're getting to the end of Philippians and you're just like, oh, we're almost there. And then what's the next book? And then we're going to dive into it. But what I hope we can say is that we are, whether it's Jared or Andy or me or anyone else that God calls to, to preach from here, that we are faithfully preaching the text for what it was meant to say, what it still says to us, and how it glorifies God. Here we are at the end of Philippians. It's been a good equipping journey for us. Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 23 says this. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. We're going to break it down uh, into two main parts, and then we're going to read the entire letter of Philippians all the way through. Okay, so we want to hear this letter as it was written. This is what Bo and I were were talking about yesterday, and, and what some of us have talked about in here is Philippians was a letter. It was written as a letter. It was a cohesive unit, and then whenever it was delivered to the church, they would gather around and they would read it. Like So we're going to hear all of Philippians, not disjointed as we've been doing over the last few weeks, but we're going to begin Philippians as we began it, which was a cohesive reading of it. And then you're going to hear again how all these pieces come together because it was written as one letter. Chas and I have a book. She has probably forgotten about it. I know where it is. It's in a fireproof safe at our house. Whenever we uh, started dating, we would write letters back and forth to each other because this was whenever texting was still new. And, and like, so we would write these letters. But rather than like letters themselves, we had this book. Do you remember the book? Okay, I shouldn't have put you on the spot. Okay, but we have this book, and we can actually go back, and we would write our letters to each other in this book, and then we would just hand the book back and forth. And always thinking, oh, this will be really cool to go back to and see what we were writing to each other. And it is kind of funny. And then we even put a couple of pictures in there. So there's a picture of me with a hat that she absolutely hates, and she did throw it away. She finally made it after 10 years of marriage. But it was a, it was my favorite hat. It had a four-leaf clover with a skull right in the middle of it, and it was beat up and tattered. I loved that hat. It will be forever remembered in that book and book alone. But it disappeared. She denied knowing whatever happened to it. She finally admitted that it probably disappeared because she hates skulls and crossbones. So there are pictures in there too, but it's also this letter back and forth that we can go back and visit. We will never understand. This is what Bo and I were talking about. We're never going to fully grasp what it was like for the Philippians to get this letter, though. We weren't in that relationship. We're looking from a different perspective now. We're looking back and saying, oh, here's the letter. We can read it in its entirety. But if you'll go back and just, just to kind of see all of this before we start, this is a church that Paul planted. This is a church he went and he pro- to Macedonia and to Philippi, and he proclaimed the gospel, and Lydia um, joins, and the Philippian jailer joins, and then probably, we don't know this for a fact, but the, the slave girl who had the spirit of divination, and and that demon is cast out, and the, like, so there's like this small core group, and then the Philippian church is born. That's all in Acts 16, and then Paul goes on. He just continues his journeys. He continues proclaiming the gospel, and then he writes a letter back to them. You and I cannot grasp what it would mean to get that letter from Paul again in that moment. Just like even though I right now can look back at those letters that we wrote to one another and I can remember them and they bring me joy, I can't quite get back to that one moment whenever I would open the new letter or the next letter to see what had been added to it. So just be cognizant of that. There's that little disconnect there. But just imagine if you were the Philippians and you're hearing this from Paul for the first time, not something that's been kept um, preserved and is always accessible to us, but you get that letter for the first time. They would all gather in and they would just be listening to what Paul had to say. Okay, so here at the end, he says, verses 14 through 19, a fruitful partnership. I want you to, I think this is what you and I need to just kind of understand. I think it's very applicable for us. But in verses 14 through 19, just kind of recap says, yet it was kind of you, Philippians, to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So I just I put as my own heading here a fruitful partnership because I think that that's what we need to be reminded of. He's reminding the Philippians of what they're doing. And then I think we need to be reminded of what we're doing whenever we're giving to missionaries, whenever we're giving to the church, whenever we're giving to the pregnancy center. We're not giving money. We're partnering. And so let's just kind of, kind of take a look at, uh, at this. But he layered this in. Go back to, to Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. In Philippians 1, verses 3 through 5, the very beginning, he even said, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Look at this. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. that's a cool thing that I can send to other believers and, and we can talk about our partnership. But what it really meant whenever he said that I thank my God in all my remembrance of you for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, what he really meant was from the first day until now, we have been partnering in this. It wasn't just like a way of saying, hey, you're doing a fantastic job. They really were from the first day of the Philippian church until this moment, they've been partnering the whole time. Now, it seems like there had been maybe some sort of lag in there. We talked about that. But then remember last week it says, I rejoice that you've revived your concern for me. So that's just that that helps us with verses three through five. But take a look at Acts 16 and 17. Just setting some context again real quick. Go to Ch- Acts chapter 16. This is just to kind of bring us, basically what this, the end of the letter does is bring us full circle again. Because I want you to see Acts 16. It's whenever Paul, Paul and others, they, they go to Macedonia. He begins to proclaim the gospel. And in, in verse 14 of chapter 16, we, we meet Lydia. In verse 31 to 34, we see the Philippian jailer. Verses 16 through 18, there's the, the incidence of the slave girl who had the spirit of divination and said, these men are of the holy God. And that was cast out. We don't know if, if she is truly with Lydia and the Philippian jailer, but we know that there are two converts that happen in Acts 16. That is how the church began in Philippi. Two believers. And two believers is enough. Okay, now, if you flip to Acts 17, then you'll see that Paul travels to Thessalonica. They move on to Thessalonica. So Acts 16 is Macedonia. That's where the Philippian church is. And then Acts 17, that's whenever he's gonna go to Thessalonica. Okay, why does that matter? Go all the way back to Philippians now. I just want you to have those two points so that you can always go back. Whenever, it's really neat. Here's what I did for ever. I read Acts and then I read Corinthians. Then I read Colossians. And then I'd read like you know um, the first and second Corinthians. And they were all into the, they were all separate. Whenever a right reading is the intertextuality, like how these things all intertwine one book to the other, is actually incredibly deep. And so I just want you to see that whenever he's writing to the Philippians, he's not writing this separate book right out here. He's writing to those people right there in Acts 16 who received the gospel and who then began to grow. And then whenever he writes to the Thessalonians, he's writing to the Thessalonians not only once but twice, and he's writing to those in Thessalonica right there that he was a part of. So these are real people in real time, and the books connect in that way. It's really, really neat, I think. Okay, so why do I point that out to you? It's because of this. Paul points out to them, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, When I left Macedonia, whenever I left you, in other words, no other church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only, even in Thessalonica. So even after he goes from Philippi and he goes to Thessalonica, he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. I just thought it was really, really cool to see that. Because here's what can happen in a church. We become consumers of what's going out, like we're, okay, I'm going to consume this, I'm going to take it in, and rather than being conduits. And I think that the Philippian church had a right understanding of the gospel. They heard the gospel, they received the gospel, they love this that Paul is doing, and so rather than just like consuming all that he has and then sitting and squatting on it, they become conduits and they're going to put it back into him because if he can bring that to them and make this life change and it's that radical, then they're going to fund him so that he can go do it somewhere else. I just think that that's an incredible picture of what the church really should be doing. I'm not opposed to big churches. I have to make that. I'm not opposed to a big church. I'm opposed to an inward-looking church. To a church, that's always looking after its own and just looking at itself and trying to just protect its own rather than trying to push back out because that's not what we see in scripture. We see that the gospel comes to us and then we become conduits of it because it is so radically, wonderfully and beautifully and eternally shifting that how in the world can we not make sure that that goes back out to everybody else? So as he's writing to the Philippians, there's that little nugget that if you don't read it closely and understand what he's talking about back here in Acts and see what this partnership really means, I think we miss it. I have to pray for myself not to just become a consumer of everything that the church is doing, but to be a conduit of what the gospel um, is all about. So I just thought that was a really cool thing. Now, Paul, because Paul is holier than I would handle this. You know, I'd say, thanks for the gift. That's awesome. I mean, I was able to do this and this and this. Paul then turns around and he says, not that I seek the gift. Like, I don't, I don't really need the gift. He says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Now, here's what he means. doesn't mean that he's not trying to be flippant. He's not saying your money didn't mean anything. But he says, Remember, this is the same guy who verses before says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. I am content in this, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's why he can say, it's not about the gift. It's about the fruit that comes from that gift. And so here's what he was trying to get across to them. And here's, here's what I need to be reminded of. He's saying to them essentially this, because you have provided for me, gospel fruit is taking place. Gospel growth is taking place. I don't need your money for the sake of the money. Like what I covet is not that gift itself, but the end result of it. The money and the gifts are necessary so that the ministry can take place. Does that make sense? That's what he's trying to get across to the Philippians. So I don't want us to sit there and go, well, looks like if you want to do it the Philippian and Paul way, then you don't have to send a gift and the gospel's going to go. No, he's saying, I don't, it's not your money I want. I want to make sure that the gospel is going out. I want to make sure that the fruit can keep happening. So that's why he says, it's not the gift that I really covet. It's the fruit of the gift. I want to make sure that Christ is known. I par- this is my paraphrase. So if it's wrong, just let me know. Here's how I put it for me. I do not seek the money itself, but the results of what I will be able to do. Proclaim the gospel. Because you've sent me this gift. God's glory will be known more because of your partnership. It is not about the money itself. It's about the end result of the gospel being proclaimed. Y'all, this is why we give to the missionaries. This is why we give to other agencies. 30% of what Cross Life takes in, we send back out to different agencies that we know are proclaiming the gospel. But get this, we're not funding their ministries. That's, That's essentially, if you want to look at the money side of it, we're funding ministries. That's not what we're doing. We are partnering with them. We're allowing them to do ministry in ways that we cannot because we're doing ministries in ways that they cannot. And when we are all doing our ministries and we are partnering together, yes, there might be an exchange of funds and talents and treasures and all that. Like there might be that exchange. But whenever we are truly giving to missionaries that are proclaiming the gospel and pregnancies that are proclaiming the gospels and schools that are proclaiming the gospel, then we know that the gospel is going out. And the gospel going out will do the fruit that it is intended to do. It's not about funding. It's about partnering. That's a vast shift in our American culture. We have a tithe jar right back there. It's a little tiny jar. We still don't know what to call it. Sometimes Chas calls it the bowl, the tithe bowl. I call it the tithe jar, Where's the tithe plate, it's not gold plated, it's not silver plated. I don't know the last time it was sanitized, to be quite honest. It's just back there. Our heart at Cross Life is you give as God compels. I want to talk about that a little bit more here in just a second, but I want you to know that the tithes and offerings do help the church to accomplish the ministry it's supposed to, but 30% is then reallocated to go back out so that we can fund a missionary who's in Beirut. And as our tithing increases, so does the amount that we can send back out. But, but instead of doing 10%, which is a temptation, that's like a, a valid model that many churches use, and that's, that's as they're led to do. Our heart from the very beginning, the reason that we were good with meeting in living rooms is so that we could take 30% and just send it back out. So we want you to understand that that giving is not like, hey, we're just writing a check to them. It is a partnership. As much as we can from the first day of our partnership until then so that the fruit may increase. Okay, so I do want to balance this out. This is not a tithe sermon. Should you tithe? Yes. How much do you tithe? How much? That's between you and God. This, this is the part I want to I touch on. If we want to do like the Philippians, and then, then we're going to move past this. If we want to do like the Philippians, though, it seems like the church itself was partnering with Paul. But then if, Ricky, if you're saying that we're supposed to be tithing, but then we can partner with others, like how do we balance this all out? Because you know as well as I do, you can just keep giving and giving and giving, and then pretty soon you can't even do ministry because you've given everything out itself. Here's... Here's what my conviction is. It is not scripture itself. Use your own conviction here. But I do believe, number one, that tithing is scriptural. It's biblical. It should be done with joy and by the conviction that God gives you. That's the standard for me. I do believe also that the majority of what you you give, 50.1%, okay, the majority of what you give, should go to the local church so that the local church, whatever one you've, you've partnered with, can continue doing the operations to continue doing the ministry. So I think that the majority should go to the local church. But then I think you have the freedom to give anywhere that God is calling you to give wherever God is doing his work. So Chas and I have kind of a, in our house, what this looks like is we have a determined amount of here's how much we tithe. Here's how much that we, we know we're giving But we're also trying to give to this ministry and this ministry and this ministry. And so we take from this portion and we also fund there. And then the bulk of what we have goes to the church. You talk to another pastor. Oh, no, 100 percent has to go to the local church. And then you need to figure out where you're going to give over here. I'm just telling you our conviction, how we operate. And what I think, here's the thing. You have the freedom to honor God with your finances or your partnerships, however you see fit. Just know that, that there's no hard set rule of all of it has to go to the church, all of it has to go to miss, Excuse me, missions. I just think a very practical outworking is I think the majority should go to your local church, but then you have the freedom in the rest of that to fund whatever other partnerships you want. Imagine how much ministry could be done. Okay, this is so anti-church growth, by the way. But just imagine how much ministry could be done if, like... People led by their convictions gave a certain portion of the church, but then by their individual conviction that God put on their heart, they took these other funds, and they didn't spend them on themselves, but they started partnering with other missionaries and other agencies that they know are proclaiming the gospel just to ensure that those things keep going forward. That terrifies me. I'm not going to lie, just to say that from the pulpit. But um, that's, how cool would that be? Like, you can just... Give to the church that's partnering, but then you're also like, you know what? But there's this missionary friend that we've always wanted to partner with, and I hear what they're doing. We're actually not going to give 50 to the local church. We're going to take this 50, and we're going to help fund that, ministry, that missionary so that they can stay on the mission field longer or so that they can. Does that make sense? That's cool to me. Like, I'm excited about that kind of stuff. How much should you tithe between you and God? Should you tithe? That's an obedience thing. You should. How much goes to the local church and how much goes to the mission field? Between you and God. Cross, lives, cross life will exist and will continue to exist as long as God says it will exist and it will continue to exist. And then whenever God says it's done, then it's done. So there's our financial scheme for you. How many heads of household giving what percent do we need? As long as God is in it, we don't really know and we don't care. We just want to be faithful. We want to be good stewards, and we, we track those things. But I want you to understand, this isn't about tithing. It's about the heart issue. It's about partnering in the gospel. It's not, we've got to send this much, or we're doing this. It's, we see the gospel work being done. We want to partner. That's what the Philippians were doing. Not just when he was in Philippi, but also in Thessalonica. Okay. Paul then reminds them, this is the last thing that we're going to go on to the farewell, and then we're going to read it all, that this is not a bilateral partnership. This is not, whenever the Philippians send it to to Paul, it's not just like, here are the Philippians, here's Paul, bilateral, these two involved here. It's not like just that Brian and I have an exchange and we're in this, this agreement right here. It's trilateral. Any partnership we do for the gospel is trilateral. There were the Philippians, there was Paul, and there was God. That's why at the end of it, you read that whole exchange. He says, I don't seek the gift itself. I I seek the fruit of it. And it has been a fragrant offering to God. So God has been seeing this partnership fully developed and it's a fragrant offering. It's a complete sacrifice um, to God. And then Paul reminds them, and that God who sees a fragrant sacrifice, he will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When we partner with other ministries, as Cross Life will always seek to do, it's not Cross Life and First Choice Pregnancy Center and bilateral, it's trilateral. That's why we always want to make sure that the gospel is being proclaimed. All that makes sense? Everybody good? Okay, so now he's going to say goodbye. Paul's going to say goodbye. Verses 20 through 23, the farewell. I'm going to do do this, uh, and then we're going to read it all and be done. That's kind of sad. Knowing that you're about to, it's like saying goodbye to a friend. Paul's about to leave. Here's how he spends his goodbye. Listen to this. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And then the letter's over. Take a look at how he says goodbye. Just some some super quick points. By the way, this is a standard goodbye. It's a good thing to go look at Paul's goodbyes and who he mentions and how he says goodbye to each church. But look at this. He points them to God. Like whenever he's saying farewell, he's pointing them to God. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Number two, he points them to one another. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Seems like it's echoing the the great commandments, right? Love the, so he's pointing them to God. Point them to one another. He points them to his fellow workers in the faith. Uh, I want to hit that super quick. He says, the brothers who are with me greet you. Remember, y'all, Paul did not fulfill his ministry alone. Timothy's with him. Epaphroditus is with him. He walked with the other apostles. And there were many others whose names have passed and who fueled other people's faith. And we've just forgotten them through time. But Paul did not stand alone. And we've talked about that through Philippians. He did not fulfill his ministry alone. But I love this part. He says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. That's awesome. Three possible things that that could mean. Number one, that some of Caesar's household, his family, had accepted Christianity. So that's one possible translation, it's the plainest translation. Another translation or understanding is that some of the guards of Caesar's imperial guard, um, so his, his army, some of them have now received Christianity. Or third, where I land is both of those could be true we don't really know but what we do know is that because Paul has been in prison and made much of Christ that there are people either in Caesar's guard or in Caesar's household or both who are hearing Christianity and they are becoming believers and they're saying to the Philippians thanks for your partnership because the gospel came to them because of the Philippians faithfulness too i think that that's just really really cool Whenever Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, you can flip there. He said to them, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, my imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. Now we see that in, in chapter 4. By being in prison, it's actually advanced the gospel because now he's put in a situation where he truly has captive guards. Like he has someone he can talk to the whole time and talk about the gospel and the gospel is beginning to spread. So he says, I want you to know that what has happened to me, my imprisonment has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So in his farewell, he made sure to point them to God. He pointed them to one another. He pointed them to his fellow workers and then last, he points him to Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. The end. All right. Let's read it the way it was written and delivered. And then let's go from here. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Let me get a drink real quick. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul riding from his imprisonment. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus... To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you all in my heart. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, I'm sorry, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. So that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others and have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord... I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. so that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ, Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything I'm sorry, and if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say Rejoice. Whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. Sorry, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I I seek the fruit of the gift that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. And all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Lord God, I thank you for the letter to the Philippians. Not only that you preserved it for us till today. Not only that the Holy Spirit that moved Paul to pin it then is the Holy Spirit that's within us so that we can have understanding. Lord, not only that there was a Philippian church. But Lord, thank you that there's a gospel. Thank you that there is a hope that, that's, that is at the root of all of your work. And it's the gospel that saved Paul who hated the church and hated you and wanted nothing of your ways. Lord, who in fact thought he was doing a righteous work by persecuting the church, but God, your gospel broke in and you invaded that life and you took it as your own. And Lord, we sit here today humbled by the fact that we are conduits of that grace and that gospel. The work that you began then we can look back at it and we can, we can see how faithful you are. Lord, I pray that the book of Philippians encourages us and keeps us going. That we cling to the joy that the gospel has given us. That we cling to the unity that the gospel has brought us. And Lord, that we keep our eyes ever set on Christ Jesus, who took on flesh and dwelt amongst us. And you, Jesus, humbled yourself to the point of death on the cross so that all we can know is grace. Lord, thank you that from the beginning until now, God, you have redeemed us. You have made us your own. And Lord, now continue to teach us so graciously and kindly how to share that with everybody else and to be renewed in that. Lord, we love you and we love your word. It is what gives us life. It is what sanctifies us. And we thank you for that. Amen.